You're listening to a sermon from the Langley Canadian Reformed Church. We hope you'll find it to be spiritually edifying. This afternoon we'll be paying attention to the doctrine of angels, of the spiritual world. For that reason we'll be reading two passages from Scripture. The first is one of the many descriptions found of angels in Scripture. Ezekiel chapter 1, the verses 4 through 14. I looked and I saw a windstorm coming out of the north, an immense cloud with flashes, flashing lightning and surrounded by brilliant light. The center of the fire looked like glowing metal and in the fire was what looked like four living creatures. In appearance, their form was that of a man. But each of them had four faces and four wings. Their legs were straight. Their feet were like those of a calf and gleamed like burnished bronze. Under their wings on their four sides they had the hands of a man. All four of them had faces and wings. And their wings touched one another. Each one went straight ahead. They did not turn as they moved. Their faces looked like this. Each of the four had the face of a man, and on the right side each had the face of a lion, and on the left the face of an ox, each also had the face of an eagle. Such were their faces. Their wings were spread out, upward. Each had two wings, one touching the wing of another creature on either side, and two wings covering its body. Each one went straight ahead. Wherever the spirit would go, they would go, without turning as they went. The appearance of the living creatures was like burning coals of fire, or like torches. Fire moved back and forth among the creatures. It was bright, and lightning flashed out of it. The creatures sped back and forth like flashes of lightning. As far as our first scripture reading, the second one is taken from the revelation of Jesus Christ to his apostle John. Revelation chapter 12, we read the verses 7 through 13. The ascension of the Christ to the throne has been described. And then verse 7 continues, And there was war in heaven. Michael and his angels fought against the dragon, and the dragon and his angels fought back. But he was not strong enough, and they lost their place in heaven. The great dragon was hurled down, that ancient serpent called the devil or Satan, who leads the whole world astray. He was hurled to the earth, and his angels with him. Then I heard a loud voice in heaven say, Now have come the salvation and the power and the kingdom of our God and the authority of his Christ. For the accuser of our brothers, who accuses them before our God day and night, has been hurled down. They overcame him by the blood of the Lamb and by the word of their testimony. They did not love their lives so much as to shrink from death. Therefore, rejoice, you heavens, and you who dwell in them. Woe to the earth and the sea, because the devil has gone down to you. He is filled with fury, because he knows that his time is short. When dragon saw that he had been hurled to the earth, he pursued the woman who had given birth to the male child. As mentioned, attention this afternoon will be paid to the doctrine of angels. We'll do that along the lines of the confession of the church on this matter. It's found in article 12 of the Belgian Confession. 
Our attention will be for the second half of this article, but we'll read the whole article together. We believe that the Father, through the Word, that is, through His Son, has created out of nothing heaven and earth and all creatures when it seemed good to Him, and that He has given to every creature its being, shape, and form, and to each its specific task and function to serve its Creator. We believe that He also continually continues to sustain and govern them according to His eternal providence, and by his infinite power, in order to serve man, to the end that man may serve as God. He also created the angels, good, to be his messengers and to serve his elect. Some of these have fallen from the exalted position in which God created them into everlasting perdition, but the others have, by the grace of God, remained steadfast and continued in their first state. The devils and evil spirits are so depraved that they are enemies of God and of all that is good. With all their might, they lie in wait like murderers to ruin the church and all its members and to destroy everything by their wicked devices. They are therefore by their own wickedness sentenced to eternal damnation and daily expect their horrible torments. Therefore we detest and reject the error of the Sadducees who deny that there are any spirits and angels and also the error of the Manichees, who say that the devils were not created, but have the origin of themselves, and that without having become corrupted, they are wicked by their own nature. Love congregation of our Lord Jesus Christ, ours is a time where religion, or at least religiosity, spirituality, are in. There's an increase in interest for the supernatural today. For a long time, angels and spirits were out. might interest you to know that one of the first discipline cases in the Reformed churches in the Netherlands after the Synod of Dort, doctrinal discipline cases that is, was on this issue. Reverend Becker of Amsterdam denied the existence of angels and devils. The book he wrote was even translated into English. And it caused such upheaval that in the late 17th century, the Klasses Walcheren drafted a statement of faith on the subject and even had its ministers subscribe it. For yes, modern enlightened man is not willing to believe in the existence of that which cannot be observed or verified. It's different today. People are very interested in what the Nicene Creed refers to as the things invisible. Novels such as those written by C.S. Lewis, Frank Peretti, and Randy Elkhorn are popular. Maybe you've seen episodes of Touched by an Angel. Indeed, the world of angels is drawing attention in Christian circles. But... This interest is not limited to Christian circles alone. Interest in angels in Christian circles is paralleled by an interest in cults in the spiritual world, also in the world about us. The occult is becoming more and more popular. Just look at the popularity of the Harry Potter films and novels. And the problem becomes that the fantasies of authors and filmmakers that starts to feed this hunger... They they draw from all religions, including Christianity, and it creates quite a muddle on what is now true and what is not true, what is fiction and what is fact. 
And given the popularity of interest for the invisible world of angels, demons, it's good to take note of what God would have us know about this world. And in the style of a catechism sermon, we wish to pay attention to the doctrine of angels. Angels. When you hear that word, what do you think of? Do you think of little Cupid-like creatures, little wings, little fat babies blowing a trumpet? Or of a mighty hero, good-looking, wielding a sword? That's the way Peretti depicts them. Beings that look like humans. Think of Monica and Tessa in Touched by an Angel. Or human beings that have wings. The question is then, how many wings? Isaiah saw them with six wings. Ezekiel saw them with four wings. Or maybe given what we've read in Ezekiel chapter 1, you don't have an image in mind. Try drawing what Ezekiel saw. And angels, what are they? The most basic question, are they more important or less important than human beings in God's order of creation? That's a question because many people stand in awe of angels. Even the Apostle John, when he had seen the revelation of the Christ, bent down to worship an angel. But was that correct? And there are also some people who hold that when people pass away, when they die, that they become angels. Is that true? Well, God has made clear to us that there is indeed a world of beings which we cannot see. The world of the things invisible. We can't deny the existence of spirits whom we refer to as angels, the good and the fallen. On the other hand, A curiosity with respect to this world is tempered by God's revelation. There is simply, there is much we simply do not know. When it comes to that, we ought to take our cue from Psalm 89. As the last line of stanza 3 in the rhyme version puts it, among the sons of God, that's a reference to the angels, none equals God in power. Or take the line from stanza 4, thou art far greater Lord than those surrounding thee. See, the world of spirits might be fascinating. We ought to focus our attention primarily on God, creator and king. So we listen to God's teachings on angels with this thing. Angels exist, but focus your attention on God. We'll look at three things. What God has made known to us regarding, first of all, the existence of angels. Secondly, the activities of angels in general. And thirdly, the activities of angels in the history of salvation. First of all, that very basic fact, the world of spirits exists. Angels, devils, they are not figments of the imagination. The first book of the Bible already tells us this. Think of the snake, the serpent in paradise, used by the devil. Think of the cherubs with their flaming swords set at the entrance to the Garden of Eden to prevent Adam and Eve from going back. Abraham entertained angels. Moses spoke with an angel of the Lord. An angel appeared to Gideon, to the parents of Samson. When trapped in the city of Dothan, 
The prophet Elisha was surrounded by an army of angels. An angel joined the three friends of Daniel in the fiery furnace. And an angel joined Daniel in the lion's den. The devil tempted our Lord Jesus Christ. And when the temptations were over, angels came to minister to the Christ. Demons made pigs run into a lake. The Italian Cornelius saw an angel. The Apostle Peter was set free from prison by an angel. Revelation 12 tells of a war between good and fallen angels. There are angels in the Bible from Genesis to Revelation. Those who deny the existence of the world of angels will be found to be contradicting God himself. They exist. So what do we know of this world? The fact of the matter is that most of what we know, if not all, has its source in God's word. Let's begin with the designation these creatures receiving scripture, how the Bible refers to them. Our English word angel is taken from the Greek, angelos. And angelos, that's a normal Greek word and it means messenger. The Hebrew word for angel is malak. And that too is an ordinary word, everyday word, meaning messenger. The last prophet of our Old Testament, Malachi, you could also translate that as my messenger. In Hebrew, it sounds like my angel. And now because the Hebrew and the Greek terms for this spiritual creature is the ordinary word for messenger... It's not always clear in scripture whether a messenger is a human being or a spiritual being. Best known on this point are the angels of the seven churches in Revelation 2 and 3. Are these the human ministers of these churches? Is it a collective reference to the church council of the churches? Or are these the guardian spirits of the seven churches? No one can say for sure. On the other hand, it is clear that the words Malak and Angelos are sometimes used to refer to a being that is not human. There are messengers that have wings. And boys and girls, people don't have wings. So they can't be people. The creatures described in Ezekiel 1, they're clearly not humans. In Exodus 3, an angel appears to Moses in the shape of a flame. Indeed, angels can be invisible. Billiam didn't see the angel. His donkey did. Elisha's servant didn't see the angels. Elisha did. So it's clear creatures exist that have no physical body but that do have an own identity. You might say there's a a lesson in biology for us. There are plants, animals, humans, spirits. Angels, spirits, they have no physical body. However, they are limited in space. Angels, both the good and the bad, are not gods. Like human beings, angels cannot be in two places at the same time. God can. He's omnipresent. Angels cannot. 
In the prophecy of Daniel, we hear of an angel, Gabriel, who was sent to speak to Daniel. But Gabriel took three weeks to get to Daniel, because, as he explains to Daniel, another angel, Satan, prevented him from coming. And so a third angel, Michael, had to help Gabriel break through the barrier. Angels are limited in space. They're also limited in time. God is beyond time. God is eternal. Angels are not. Angels have a history, just like us human beings. And there's an important lesson here. Angels are limited in space and time. They're not gods. And do not attribute divine attributes to these creatures. This is important because probably the best known angel is the devil. The leader of the fallen angels. Satan is not God. He's a creature. Satan has a history. Satan is limited in time. Satan doesn't know everything. And he cannot be everywhere at the same time. To put it very plainly... If Satan is in Africa, he's not in Canada. Angels are not gods. They're also not omniscient. They don't know everything. For example, God is able to hide the child Jesus in Egypt, and Satan didn't have a clue where to look for him. Spiritual beings are like human beings in many ways. Like humans, angels can have emotions. Angels can be angry. Revelation 12, the devil has gone down to you in great fury. Angels can be happy, overjoyed. The Lord Jesus tells in one of his parables how the angels in heaven rejoice when someone repents. Indeed, angels have an own will. There was a point in time where they could choose for or against God. Angels have longings. The Apostle Peter writes that there are things revealed to human beings into which angels long to look. So don't think of angels as invisible robots. They're creatures with their own identity. Angels are individuals. Indeed, there are even different sorts of angels. Scripture tells us about archangels. An arch, that's a Greek prefix meaning first, foremost, your arch enemy. That's your worst enemy. Or an archbishop is the most important bishop. While an archangel is the chief of angels. Some angels are referred to as cherubs. Or in the Hebrew, in the plural then, cherubim. They're, as it were, God's bodyguard. They protect God's property, especially his His throne, his holiness. Boys and girls, think of the cherubs as the police force of the angels. Or maybe the, the customs officers. Cherubs. They make sure that Adam and Eve don't return to the Garden of Eden. There were two angels depicted on top of the ark. They were cherubs. They bore the ark of God. They protect the ark of God. The four living creatures of Ezekiel and Revelation, they are four cherubs. They protect God's holiness. Another type of angel is the seraph or the seraphim. Isaiah tells of them. 
They're the choral angels. They sing God's praise. And then in several of his letters, Paul writes of thrones, principalities, governments, and powers. This is the spiritual world that is at back of our world. The wars of this world, so we learn from Daniel and Revelation, may have a spiritual dimension to them. Our world has good guys and bad guys. Well, there are good angels and bad angels. And indeed, in Revelation 12, we read of how these two groups go to war with each other. Michael and his angels do battle with the devil and his angels. The bad angels are devils, fallen angels. Angels who at some point in history rebelled against God, led by the angel once known as the light bearer. In Latin, his name is Lucifer. But he's now known as Satan. And it's good to realize that too. When we use the word angels, we tend to think of only the good angels. But angel, that term usually describes a type of creature. And there are good ones and there are bad ones. Good angels and bad angels. If when you think of an angel, you think of a Cupid-like creature. And of a devil, you think of something with horns. Well, that doesn't make sense because they're actually the same type of creature. It's a bit like believers and unbelievers are both human beings, while angels and devils are both spirits. God tells us there are many angels. Thousands upon thousands, ten thousands upon ten thousands. A child today would say there are zillions of angels. Just the letter to the Hebrews makes clear they're uncountable. And then it comes as a surprise. There's only four of them we know as individuals. Gabriel, known from the Christmas story especially. His name means God's hero. Scripture portrays him as the chief Angel of the messengers. He's responsible for the public relations department of heaven, you might say. Then there's Michael. His name means, and that's also a clue with our theme, who is like God. He's the general of the army of the angels. We read of him in Revelation, but both Gabriel and Michael can already be found in the Old Testament. In the letter written by Jude, we read that Michael and the devil even fought over the body of Moses. Gabriel, Michael, the third angel is the angel of the Lord. In general, it is thought that this is a reference to the Lord Jesus Christ before he became a human being. What makes this angel mysterious is that sometimes his identity is equivalent to that of the Lord God. Exodus 3 is an example. And sometimes he's a distinct person, as in the prophecies of Zechariah. We don't read of this angel in the New Testament, and that makes it indeed possible for this to be a reference to the natural Son of God. However, if it is a reference to the natural Son of God, then we should remember that the term angel is no longer a reference to his being, but to his task. He's a messenger, the Son of God is not, in the literal sense, an angel and never has been, nor will he ever be. And then there's a fourth angel, the leader of the fallen angels, the dragon or the serpent. In Hebrew, he's called Satan, Satan. 
It's taken from the language of the courts and it means accuser. He's the one who accuses us before God. In Greek he's called devil, diabolos. And that means to divide, to rebel. He's also referred to as Beelzebub, the lord of the flies, chief of the dung pile. Angels, where do they live? Well, good angels live in heaven, but what about the evil angels? Well, they used to live in heaven just like the good angels, even after their fall. Think of Satan appearing before God in the history of Job. Revelation 12 informs us that since the ascension of Christ, evil angels no longer have a place in heaven. They may only roam the earth or sit out their punishment in hell. And here's another important point. Popular belief would have us think that hell is for the devils, what heaven is for the good angels. It's not true. Hell is a place of punishment. It's a prison. Also for the devils. The devils have no headquarters called hell. And brothers and sisters, that's about it. Sure, there are a few deeper details, but that's about all that God reveals to us about the world of spirits. Of course, there's so much more we'd like to know. God only tells us a little. Makes one wonder why. And an answer to that question might be that God wants our attention to be focused on what truly matters. No doubt the world of angels is an impressive one and an interesting one. The Apostle John is so impressed that he falls on his knees and begins to worship an angel. But the angel reacts with shock. Don't do that. Worship God. Focus your attention on God. As the letter to the Hebrews instructs us, angels are no more than ministering spirits sent by God to attend to the needs of his children. And that brings us to our second and third thoughts, what angels do. First of all, what they do in general. Psalm 89 has us sing, In the counsel of the holy ones, God is greatly feared. A church has a church council. A municipality has a town or a city council. Well, it would seem that creation has some sort of council as well. And in the council of creation, spirits come to report what they have seen or done and to receive instructions. Thus the prophet Micaiah says to King Ahab, I saw the Lord sitting on his throne with all the host of heaven standing around him on his right and on his left. Or think of what we read in the first chapters of Job, how Satan appears in the throne room of God and gives account of what he's done. Revelation 5 describes the throne room with the four living creatures, the cherubim, and the 24 elders. The task of these spirits is to report activities on earth and to follow up on God's instructions. What then is their task? Well, first of all, angels like human beings, like all of creation, they're created to praise God. Think of the mass choir of angels in the fields of Ephrata. Or Isaiah 6, holy, 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 sing the angels. Psalms 103 and 148, praise the Lord, all you his angels. So they praise. Secondly, angels are messengers. 
An angel tells Gideon to lead God's people. An angel tells Manoah and his wife they will receive a son who is to be a judge. Zechariah is told by an angel that he and Elizabeth will have a son. Mary speaks with an angel. Joseph has an angel speak with him in a vision. The apostle John has an angel as a guide. Angels bring messengers. And thirdly, the angels form an army. When the Lord is referred to as the Lord of hosts, of the heavenly hosts, then hosts, that refers to the army of angels, of which we read in Revelation 12. When the soldiers come to take the Lord Jesus captive, then he says, I can call upon 12 legions of angels to rescue me. The number is interesting there because the Roman Empire had an army consisting of 11 legions. So Jesus is saying, I have more angels at my disposal than the Roman emperor has soldiers at his disposal. Angels fight battles. Now it's not entirely clear from scripture whether everybody has a guardian angel. However, it is clear that angels have a special task in protecting the children of God. As such, angels also execute God's vengeance. An angel of death is sent out to slay the oldest sons in Egypt. It is an angel who brings an epidemic to Israel when David sins by counting the people. And in Revelation, we read of angels who empty the bowls of God's wrath. Now that may make us wonder, is that necessary? Isn't God omniscient? Surely he doesn't need angels to go down to the earth to see things and then come back to heaven to report what they have seen. And isn't God almighty? Surely he doesn't need angels to execute his commands. Why angels? It is indeed true. God knows all things. God is able to do all things. Nevertheless, it is also very clear that God himself has chosen to use the service of angels. And then the question becomes, who are we to argue with God? If God himself comes to inspect the Tower of Babel, but sends angels to inspect the cities of Sodom and Gomorrah, who are we to criticize? Having angels do his bidding does not decrease God's glory. We say that Solomon built the temple. But I don't think anybody of us believes that Solomon even laid a single stone. He had people do that for him. Well, it's the same way here. Psalm 89 indicates to us who is in control in heaven. The plurality of the invisible world does not decrease God's power and glory. On the contrary, it makes it greater. For what means more to us? God has some invisible, almost abstract power in this world, or the knowledge that God is also the God of an invisible world, that he even has angels to do his bidding. Angels. They praise God. They deliver messages from God. They protect. They fight. They are God's servants. They are the court officials. God is king. We are allowed to be God's children. The angels are the servants. Hebrews 1 Are not all angels ministering spirits sent to serve those who will inherit salvation? Some angels do their work faithfully, others don't. 
They form an anti-God front. They try to destroy everything in which God finds joy. They mislead people to sin. They're mean. They're deceitful. They're sly. They would have us believe that this world can exist without God. And the image of the, the, the picture, the description of court officials, of servants at a court is helpful here. Devils, they are court officials who were unsatisfied with their position. They wanted to be like human beings. They wanted to be princes and princesses. And by the children of the court, the devils tried to have God's power diminished. So they took control of the children, and then the devils themselves become the masters. Jude informs us, devils are angels who did not keep their positions, but abandoned their own home. That brings us to that specific role which angels play in the history of salvation. Angels. They're creatures. They were created. Something could happen before the first day of the creation of heaven and earth. Because in Job we read of the morning stars singing when God created. Others say, no, it must have happened on the first day of creation. Well, Genesis 1 doesn't tell us, but the scripture does tell us they are creatures. Psalm 148, praise him all his angels, praise him all his heavenly hosts, For he commanded and they were created. At some point in time, after their creation of course, some angels fell into apostasy. They rebelled. Scripture is very brief on this. All we know is that the dragon, the leader, dragged a third of the angels with him. A minority, but a sizable minority. As you read the Old Testament, it's not worthy how... Involve both the good and the evil angels are with things on earth. But it's also interesting to note that at some point in history, people get the task of angels. Gideon receives instructions from an angel. David receives instruction from the prophet Samuel. Sometimes the Lord speaks directly with people. Sometimes an angel becomes the messenger between God and people. What is noticeable, especially, is that when God's Son is born as a human being, the activities of angels on earth becomes more noticeable. When you read the Christmas story, the history of Christmas from the perspective of angels, you get the impression there's even a special role for the court officials here. Can you imagine, for example... The shepherds in the field, this angel appears to the shepherds, he talks with the shepherds, and all the other angels are peering down from heaven looking, what's going to happen, what's going to happen, what's going to happen? And all of a sudden God says, okay, go for it. And then the heavens just split open and the choir of angels starts singing. The same way the angels sang at creation, so they sang when Christ was born. And when Christ is active on earth, the spiritual world is filled with activity as well. Angels come to minister to Christ, and devils try to make Jesus' life impossible. Indeed, Satan himself shows up in person. When Jesus dies on the cross, it's not just the earth that's all upset. The spiritual world is upset too. General Michael and the dragon Satan do battle. The army of demons is expelled from heaven. The insurgents are kicked out of heaven. The only places they may still visit are earth and hell. And then again, it's interesting to note that at Pentecost, angels play no role. The Holy Spirit is given to all God's children so that they might bring the gospel. And gospel in Greek 
is angelos, good message. God's children become evangelists, and in Greek that is good messengers. Not Gabriel, but Peter brings the message. And yet it doesn't mean that angels drop from history. Revelation tells that there is more they do. While the devil goes around like a roaring lion trying to deceive the elect, angels work hard at protecting God's children. Angels are also used by God to warn human beings. Angels continue to bring the souls of those who pass away to Christ. Many of the details described in the books of Peretti and Elkhorn are actually quite close to the truth. And then there's that great moment in the future yet, Christ's return. An archangel will sound the trumpet. Angels will go out to bring God's children together and separate them from those deserving eternal death. And the godless will join the devils in eternal abandonment of God in the pool of fire, while the godly will join the faithful angels in eternal dwelling with God. And that, brothers and sisters, is in short what God teaches us about the world of spirits. A world no less real than our own, a world of which we know little, but the little we do know tells us it's as complicated as our own world. There is a difference between these two worlds. Angels as beings are not parallel to humans. Humans form the crown of creation, not angels. It's because we allowed an angel, a lower creature, to lure us into rebelling against God that we are now, in a sense, less than the angels. But things won't remain that way. The Lord Jesus Christ, 100% man, has already been glorified above the angels, so Hebrews informs us. And the Apostle Paul writes, we too shall one day judge the angels, determine who are good angels and who are bad angels. Don't underestimate the spiritual world of evil. Paul writes, our world, our battle is not with flesh and blood. It's against the spiritual world of evil. And therefore put on the armor of God. Oppose the devil and he will flee from you, Paul says. Arm yourself with God's word. Have faith in the protection that God offers. Angels will protect us on our way. An invisible world of spirits. When you look at the plant kingdom, the animal kingdom, when you see the majesties of oceans, of rivers, prairies, mountains and storms, God indeed must be great to be in control of all this. And then think, there's even more than meets the eye. There's an invisible world as complex as what we see. And when you realize that, then Psalm 89 also becomes more poignant. The Israelites were ridiculed by the peoples for having just one God. The other nations, they could not imagine that just one God was in control of all things. So what did they do? They elevated the angels to gods and deceased people to angels. But the Israelites sang a different song. Who is like the Lord among the heavenly beings? No one. God is greater. Greater than humans, greater than angels. God is greatly feared and awesome. So let's not keep ourselves too busy with that world of angels, of spirits. Focus attention on what truly matters. The glory of God. The glory of God from the mouths of humans and from the mouths of angels. Let's sing of that. Amen. 
This has been a sermon from the Langley Canadian Reformed Church. For more information, please visit us on the web at www.langleycanrc.org.